Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. everybody welcome to another episode of true crime and cocktails we're so glad that you're here as always i am your host lauren ash and as always i am joined by my co-host s with the most s christy oxborough how you feeling i am trying to think of the right words to use sure i am fucking great wowzer yes yes and it all goes all i mean obviously part of it is uh because i'm here with my favorite gal of course um but then the rest of it entirely hinged upon a an NHL game from last night. I was wondering if that was what was happening. Yeah. Now, I'm going to preface this with, I fully understand that no one listening in this moment cares. I don't know if that's true. But picture it. <clears throat> Pittsburgh 2023. Sure. Now, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia fucking hate each other right. they are one of those hockey rivalries that it's just it is what it is uh my husband asked yesterday he's like oh do they just not like each other is it just a whatever so i showed him one of the instagram posts from the philadelphia flyers them saying that they were going to be playing this game and the post just said they don't like us and we don't like them <laughs> wow yeah wow yeah. grown men they're grown, grown men. men yeah um yeah yeah look i live for it so my beloved Philadelphia Flyers have been on a bit of a drought. And so I've been waiting anxiously sure. for a win. Right. And they 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 keep the kind of stats that I want to say I never will, but I'm about to pull a stat out. This season so far, my team, bless them, have not won a game when their opponent scores first. Okay. And Every single game, 
we're reminded of that. Because as soon as the other person scores, then the, the announcers are all like, well, well, you know, Philadelphia hasn't uh, managed to come back with a win after something like this, but we'll see. It's got to happen. So I've been waiting the last three games. I'm going, it, today's the day. Today is the day. It hadn't been. This one, Pittsburgh scores one nothing. I'm not, I'm, I'm still on board. I'm still like, we're, I'm still being very positive. We score, tie it up. I'm like, here we go. Uh, I believe they scored again. Then we scored very soon after. I was like, okay, here we go. They're in the energy. We're in the thing. It's right. We're doing great. And then we scored and I went through the roof. I was screaming. I was excited. We were three to two. It was beautiful. 20 seconds left in the game, fucking Pittsburgh scores. I let out a string of colorful language in front of my eight-year-old who turned and looked at me and I went, you don't use those words. Those are for when mom's angry. Um, oh, I was so angry because overtime stresses me out in a way that I can't say it. Because during a game, if you get scored on, I keep lying to myself and saying, we'll get it back. Oh, yeah. We'll tie it up. It's fine. Always time. But over time, bam, done. Good night, nurse. And I can't stand the stress of it. Sure. It was action-packed. The first like period of that game was a little on the boring side. From period three on, nothing but constant excitement. Nothing happened. There were some close calls, but no score in the overtime. So then that means they go to Shoot a shootout. Out. Neither of the first two, because they for the shootout, they for, they do uh, three each. And then if nobody scores after that, we'll bring out another guy and then another guy. And then we just say, fine, fuck it. It's a tie. We brought out the three. First two, on first one guy on both sides, nobody scores. Their second guy goes up, doesn't score. I'm screaming. I'm like, every time the, the goalie is saving it, I'm like, that's my boy. He's doing great. Because I've gone from... I would like to date these men to the, now every year I get 30 new sons. It's just how it works because now they're all so young that I could have birthed them. So now they're just my kids. So I get very excited. Our second guy goes up and he fucking scores. There it is. Their third guy? Nothing. We fucking won. Uh, shout out to Sean Coutier, a.k.a. Coots, <laughs> the boys call him. <laughs> Wowzer. Needless to say, I screamed yeah. in my home. I could not have been more thrilled. And uh, my oldest son loves the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's right. And so I was like, how much of a dick should I be? And the answer was, I was an adult. I didn't say anything. I know he would have come at me if he had won, but I said nothing. And then this morning, he messaged me and was like, uh, I was like, oh, just making sure you got home okay. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, I had to get up early and whatever. And then I headed home and I was like, oh, did you get up early and weren't able to go back to sleep because you saw the score? <laughs> <laughs> I got a series of all caps responses that were like that game was bullshit it was outrageous the calls were stupid like all of this and i was like mhm mm mhm mm you are your mother's son yep and now we face them again tomorrow 
Wow. Like it's, they're doing like a back to back, but tomorrow it's at our home. So you're in Harry's house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, oh, that's how I should do it. I should put it in those words to help you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so it's like if Harry Styles put out an album, God, who would Harry's nemesis be? I don't want to say because then people are going to come for me. You know what I mean? I don't want to speculate. Of course. I just don't. I don't know if he has one. Does he? Like musically. No one can touch him. If you ask me. Untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. If I could think of a nemesis that he had, I would. uh... Okay. There's a concert. All right. Only one person can headline. And it comes down to Harry and this other schlub. Okay. And then it's like they're doing a coin toss. And it's like, oh, it looks like Harry won. And then like 20 seconds left before the concert starts. They're like, wait a minute. Now it could be either way. Right. And then they go to a shootout, which I'm assuming is some sort of like (laughs) acapella (laughs) riff off. And... uh, they're like, manages are you f- familiar with the acapella group Rockapella? <laughs> you will be battling to the death. I like that yeah. I went from the Carmen Sandiego theme song immediately yeah. into Mbop, not deliberately. Of course. Not deliberately. Of course. My favorite part about the Carmen Sandiego song is the guy that does the bow yeah like the really deep after they do their whole scooby bop bop and then he just does bow like that's my favorite thing after they do their I- whole scooby deep bop bop i love that that was just in <laughs> earnest conversation <laughs> i spent a solid like six seven minutes describing a hockey game so um anything i say after this point is like it's it's shocking the things I say in earnest now, but well, you know I have something that that is relevant to your interests now. Oh, I can't wait. I've always had a qualm with Lucky Charms. Mm. Oh, I love marshmallows in cereal. I love it. For me, yeah. the perfect cereal was Marshmallow Alphabets. This was Canadian oh. because I loved Alphabets. I loved those. That cereal, mm-hmm. you put marshmallows in there, that's a perfect bowl, okay? My qualm with Lucky Charms is that I've never loved the cereal. It just isn't, oh, it isn't sure. hitting for me. I don't know, it's just, it's not, it's not it. Sure. Frankenberry, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Booberry, get out of town. Um, but the Lucky Charms, it's never done it. Now, obviously, as a quick aside, we can get Fruit Loops with marshmallows in them now. That's a dream. That's the dream that I never knew I had. You can get Fruity Pebbles hey. with marshmallows in them. That's a delight. No kidding. That's a delight. Wow. I go okay. to the store. I'm doing a late night Target run the other day. Oh. Because the yep. holidays are upon us. There's no time. Of course. And what do I see? Something on the shelf called, this might not be the name. I don't have it in front of me. But basically, Lucky Charms Mini. Teeny, tiny, little round cereal and teeny, tiny marshmallows. This, I think, speaks to your love of little things. It does. 
I just tried it today. Uh-huh. And the cereal is, I, because in the store, this is the level of psychopath I am. In the store, I said, is it the same cereal, just smaller? Let's compare the ingredient lists. Because I want, if it's just the same cereal, but smaller, not interested. This is a corn-based cereal. Okay? They typically are pr- predominantly oat-based. This is corn-based. Oh. I was like, it goes in the cart. It's a delight. My only note, my only note is, mm-hmm. why do the marshmallows need to be teeny? Let the cereal be tiny and then give us big marshmallows. What a gift that would be. Oh, and that that's a fun play on usually the marshmallow is the smaller of the... Right. Yeah. The fact that you now in earnest have said like, it's corn-based... And then left a pause so I have time to react. Yeah. Well, I was like, I'm dropping a big bomb on her here, so I better make sure she knows. Yeah. Corn-based. And then it was the look on your face like, (laughs) can you believe it? Can you believe it? I'm living for it. I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah. I will say, uh, my love of tiny things, I did buy, oh, um... Oh, I think it's the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but they call them Cinnamon Toast Crunch Minis. And they're essentially, they look like rabbit food. They're like little pellets. And so I was like, oh my God, they're just little tiny. This is going to be great. Bland. Really? Yes. There was something about them. It was almost like the entire box was missing the extra cinnamon sugar and it was just like a dusting. And so I was like, oh, in the end, I'm like, eh. It was okay. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, one of my favorite cereals. But again, if I'm starting oh, to list yeah. favorite cereals, I'll go on for some time. Oh, well, I would live for that. I, sugar, sugar, sugar. I was going to say sugar Christmas cereals. No, sugar cereals are my jam. That is right up my alley. Oh, um, yes. And Cinnamon Toast Crunch is a very big fave of mine. But what I love about it is it's so coated. Like you can get a handful of that dry and you're like, wow, this yeah. is this is flavorful. So that's a real yep. letdown. Oh, it was depressing. There's also um Reese Puff minis. Yep. And I'm I'm scared. I would have immediately tried them, but I'm like, what if they're also a letdown? I'll say this the flavor of the Lucky Charms minis cereal did remind me of the Reese Puff cereal. Not that it's flavored as a as um chocolate or peanut butter this is like a plain right. version but the the kind of like aftertaste is very similar interesting yeah like the way that the huh. again i'm assuming that that one's also corn based you like a corn based you like corn in all of its forms all of its forms i like corn popcorn corn on the cob boiled corn Corn, corn-based cereal. <laughs> I like corn, corn in, a can. in all of its forms. Yeah. Look, I should have been a child uh, uh, educational rapper. We both know this. We both should have been. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've said for years, what a gift you would have been walking into an elementary school gym yep. with a boombox ready to educate yep. and entertain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the kids, the kids across Canada have missed out. They have, but if I had done that, I never would have pursued my other passions. You know, then I would have just been in a life of of rap based educational programming. 
oh my God, or is that the next phase? Never say never. Is is are are you going? Is it gonna be like sixty year old Lauren is gonna go? You know what? It's time. Hip hop nana. Hip hop nana. Though I don't know whether I'll identify as a nana until I'm over seventy. Oh, okay. Well, hip hop nana can wait till seventy. Yeah, I think this is maybe a seventy year old venture. And I'm going to have to start training soon so that I can still break dance when I'm 70. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, I wasn't expecting you to break dance, but I like that you're already setting the standard (laughs) for yourself. (laughs) Because that's what I love. This is you in a nutshell where it's like, I could do this. And it's like, that seems simple enough. And then it's like, but I'm going to add eight layers to make it harder because that sounds cooler to me. That's what I do. That's what I do. Speaking of sounding cooler, I just have to give a shout out to my uh, intrepid co-host, Christy Oxborough. We were voice noting the other day, as we are wont to do most days, and I said something to her, and I can't remember the sentence, but I was like, that's just how it goes, baby. And (laughs) she sent me me a response, and I forgot to respond to that response, so I'm doing this now live in front of all of you dear people. Uh, But she sent me a response that was like, I love how you said baby. And then she went on to describe why she loves it so much. And then she finished the the thought by saying, I'll say it. It's cool. (laughs) And I laughed out loud. I was like, I'm so flattered. It's so rare, I think, in general in life that we tell someone that we think something they're doing is cool. Like, when's the last? I haven't been told that. And I don't know how long. I mean, I'll say it. It's cool. I've never been told that. (laughs) Well, guess what, baby? (laughs) Baby. I think you're cool. So there you go. Oh, that, well, uh, look, I'll say it. First of all, I like that we're using this show as our, our as an extended <laughs> voice note for ourselves. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I love that for us. Um, but yeah, voice, my voice noting gets away from me as you sure. know. It, it happens because I forget that I'm on a clock and that it's going. But yeah, there's, I mean, for years, we have said, like, you know, it's always baby. Like, yep. that's how it has been. But it's been within the last year, probably just 2023. Yeah. That yours is baby. And it's the fucking coolest thing I've ever heard. It is. God it's bless. Straight, it straight up is. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm honored and flattered. That's all I have to say. I mean, again. <laughs> what a joy. I didn't know that that was something that would would resonate with me so much, getting called cool yeah. as a 40-year-old woman um, sure. by her best friend slash sister. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very meaningful to me. Well, what I'm going to write down somewhere <laughs> is when we're making uh, resolutions yeah. for 2024, I'm going to write down to make sure that when you do something cool, that I make sure to tell you. Because sometimes you'll do something cool, and I'm like, God, that's cool. But I don't say it. You know what? I don't specifically use the word. So I think it's more of a, if you have a positive thought about something someone's doing, tell them immediately. And that's something I've been trying to employ more and more just in general in life. Because it disarms people. It's very rare that we say that to someone. You know what I mean? To say that, to be spending time with someone and then just simply say, uh, I'm having a great time. Is something we oh, don't do. Sure. Yeah. Because some would say, Lauren, that sounds weird. That feels awkward. 
I say that's only because you're not used to it. I think it's a, oh, a beautiful thing to let someone know, hey, I just wanted you to know I'm enjoying our time together. I'm having a good time with you. So yes. simple. So simple. But what a way to create connection. Thank you for attending yes. my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized. There's something beautiful about, you know, just letting somebody know like, hey, I enjoy this. Yeah. This is a great time. It's the same for me if I see somebody wearing something that I like. I often in the past have not said it, and then it'll come up later, and I'll, and I'll often say like, oh, I should have said it to you. I thought that as soon as I saw you, how nice that looked or whatever, how much I liked sure. that, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one into writing for 2024 as well. Say the thing. Hey. If you think something positive about someone, say it. We could die tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a good turn but yeah you're right you know what i'm saying say the thing yeah you're not going to regret on your deathbed the the nice things you said to people that's not going to be something you think as you're laying there waiting to cross over you're not going ah i said too many nice nice. things (laughs) yeah yeah that's a great call right uh yeah oh a hundred percent i mean obviously it's the end of the year like we're getting towards the end of the year and so our brains are on resolutions yeah. Like how in a voice note to you recently, I complained about something about myself and I went, oh, fuck it. That is next year me's problem. I'll deal with that behavior later. Yeah, I believe the, the exact quote was, oh, I'll deal with that behavior in 2024. Because it was just the, the fact that I'll deal with that behavior in 2024. It made me laugh. <laughs> well, because that was the, uh, I had to go to a store looking for one specific thing, went in. They didn't have that thing, and I came out with hundreds of dollars worth of things. Of course. of course. None of it was for me, though. Like, it's not like I just went and, like, bought just tons of stuff for myself. Yeah. And even if you did, that's your prerogative, even if, baby. Even if... See? Get out of town. You... I genuinely mean this. You are the coolest person I know. Oh, come on. That's kind. I'll say it. I'll say it. You're the coolest person I know. Well, listen, thank you. And and I feel the same way about you. And I know there's a part of you that's like, how many people does she know? Like, <laughs> is she being nice? And I'm going to say it. Todd Kearns, beloved friend of the podcast, Todd Kearns, yeah. once told me that we're human pals because we met in person for the first time. Yep. Uh, couldn't feel my legs. It's fine. Yep. Um, so the point is, Knowing that guy's on my list, I still stand by. You're the coolest person I know. Well, God bless. Thank you. I appreciate that. Because we're going to get this 2024 energy started early. Yeah. It's never too early. Yeah. Why, why do you have to wait till January? I like that. Let's resolve when we resolve. If we think of a resolution now, yeah. let's say it. What are we doing? Holding on to it? I'll forget. I have a learning disorder. <laughs> I don't remember things. So again, yeah. if you think it, say it. And isn't that also the same resolution in a way? Yeah. 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 I, oh, I like that. I think I think 2024, and I'm trying to think of a rhyme in the moment and it's not coming, but let's let's workshop it. 2024... No more holding in. You know what I mean? Hmm. 2024, okay. open the door. Oh, okay. Open the door to possibility. Open the door to connection. Yeah. Open the door to energy flow. 
It's when you get in dirty with the energy flow, like that you're in it. And I, I just couldn't be happier. Am I researching a sound bath for my birthday next year? I am. I am. I think you'd really like, I think you'd really respond to it. Really? <laughs> I think you'd go in skeptical and I think you'd leave. Of course. Changed. Yeah. Yeah. I like what's involved in a sound bath. I never I thought you'd never ask. So I've only <laughs> ever attended one. And it did change my life. But basically you lay in a room and there's a the person leading it. I'm on board already. Has a bunch of different giant and small but but some very impressive large crystal bowls. So crystals like so they they're not not crystal like fine like fine Glasses, but like uh, rose quartz, these kinds of things. And they have these tools and they play them. So they, they, they make them make noise. And the sound can kind of just transport you if you are open. Because it's, it's first of all, it's just very relaxing. It's very like, sure. but like you do it in a space where there's the vibrations coming over you. Some people fall asleep and that's okay. That's all right. Um, but it's, am I allowed a follow-up question? Absolutely. Is nudity involved? No. Okay, thank God. <laughs> no, it's, I, this, okay. the term bath just means you're letting the sounds kind of wash over you. Of course. I just worried that it would be like... Dear listeners, if you heard some growling uh, from Bean and then uh, heard absolute chaos, that's because uh, there was someone coming to the door and my sweet six-pound dog in my lap who was fast asleep immediately turned into a 100-pound Rottweiler and uh, leapt mm -hmm. from my lap through all of my podcasting equipment, took everything to the ground, is the point. Yeah. It's, uh, that yeah. was the sound bath for me. <laughs> that sound was bathing all over me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the video was worth it. It was just because you didn't see it coming, you know? No, you never do. Yeah. Much like you don't yeah. see the transcendation you may go through uh, during a sound bath coming. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't wait Look, to get into one of these Look, I'm just happy. <laughs> okay, then you say hot, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I have concerns that I would just be laying there being like, am I supposed to feel it now? And like feeling awkward that I'm like, I don't feel like I feel it. Am I feeling it? I don't know. I'm just really relieved there's no nudity. No nudity. No, no. That's nice. Yeah. That's I mean, nice. is there a world in which there's someone somewhere doing nude sound baths? Absolutely. But there's someone somewhere mowing their lawn nude. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Oh. Well, I wouldn't recommend it. But you know what I'm saying? Sure. Teach oh, yeah. Zone. I'm sure there's somebody right now doing everything possible in this world nude. And I salute them. Doesn't have to be me, but I can respect it. Yeah, you want to be nude? Be nude. Be Great. nude. Where is, where is this going? I have no idea. <laughs> where it's going <laughs> is this. What you drinking over there? Uh, oh, well, we're earlier in the day today, so I'm, uh, I'm just doing a Slurpee. Yeah, I'm drinking a nude yeah. Dr. Pepper. No, I'm not. It's a Diet Coke. <laughs> Dr. Pepper, where did that even come from? Wow. I mean, I'm thrown. I'm rattled. Well, I was going to say, I'm like, is Dr. Pepper a euphemism for dick is that me <laughs> your brain was like nudity nudity dr pepper what dr pepper how does that 
Well, all I'm saying is this. In any way. Dr. Pepper is welcome to park his car in my cock garage. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Bringing it back. Dr. Pepper garage. Yeah. Oh, cock garage. That's what I do. That's what I do. Oh, God. Well, listen, let's get into it. We're we're talking, of course, on this episode, the University of Idaho murders. This is, of course, our November November patrons poll pick over on patreon.com slash true crime and cocktails. You can vote as a Patreon member for one of the episodes we cover each month here on the main feed of the show. So check that out if you're interested in learning more. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar with this case, we're going to get you up to speed right now. In November 2022, four University of Idaho students were brutally murdered in their off-campus housing. Police had no leads, which left the small town of Moscow, Idaho, living in fear. But finally, six weeks after the horrible crime, police arrested a suspect suspect in Pennsylvania more than 2,500 miles away. So who was this suspect? And how did he get onto the police's radar? And what has happened in the case in the years since? Christy Oxborough investigates. The patrons requested something. Um, I believe the choice was something from 2020s. Ah. So something up to date, something new. Something barely just happened sort of thing. So I like that. We ended up uh, where we are today. Uh, Disclaimer off the top. This episode will contain brief mentions of suicide. So trigger warning for those who need it. This is quite possibly the most recent case that I've ever talked about uh, on the show. It's more than possible that many of our dear listeners will have heard of this um, sometimes we do cases that are older that aren't as well known. But um, on November 13th, 2022, the bodies of four university students were discovered in their off-campus apartment. But before I get into the details of the crime, I'm going to first talk about the victims. Madison Mogan was born May 25th, 2001 in Eugene, Oregon. She was a member of the Pi Beta Phi sorority who was majoring in marketing and set to graduate in the spring of 2023. Madison also worked at the Mad Greek Restaurant, where she helped to run the restaurant's social media accounts. Madison was described as loving with an offbeat and hilarious sense of humor. In 2013, while attending middle school at Cour d'Aline Charter Academy, Madison met Kaylee Gonzalez, Kaylee was born June 8th, 2001, in Concord, California. Kaylee was the middle of five children. Around the age of one, her family moved to North Idaho. As soon as they met, Madison and Kaylee became instant best friends and were so close they were they often went with each other on each other's family vacations. They both attended Lake City High School before enrolling in the University of Idaho. Kaylee was a member of the Alpha Phi sorority and was majoring in general studies in the College of Letters, Arts, and Social Sciences. She hoped to become an elementary school teacher. Kaylee was described as dedicated, fun, strong, and beautiful. Zanna Kernodal was born July 5th, 2002, in Cordeline, Idaho. She grew up in Post Falls, where she was an athlete known for gymnastics, volleyball, soccer, and track. After graduating from high school in 2020, Zanna enrolled at the University of Idaho, where she was a junior majoring in marketing. She was a member of the same Pi Beta Phi sorority that Madison was in, 
and she also worked with Madison at The Mad Greek. Zana was described as lighthearted, positive, and outgoing. Ethan Chapin was born October 29th, 2002 in Seattle. He was the oldest of a set of triplets, which also included Maisie and Hunter. All three triplets enrolled at the University of Idaho, where Ethan and Hunter were both members of the Sigma Chi fraternity, while Maisie was part of the Kappa Alpha Theta. Ethan was a freshman majoring in recreation, sport, and tourism management. Ethan was described as kind, hilarious, and 100% pure. Zana and Ethan started dating in the spring of 2002. Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan all attended the University of Idaho, which is located in the small town of Moscow, Idaho. As of 2021, the city's population was about 25,000 people. If the name Moscow seems familiar to you from our show, that's because we did an episode based in Moscow back in September 2022. The episode, uh, which was number 96 specifically, uh, focused on the case of Will Hendrick, a 25-year-old student who was last seen at a party in January 1999. Nearly four years later, a hunter discovered a skull and jawbone in a rural area just outside Moscow. The remains were determined to belong to Will Hendrick. As of this record, no other remains have been found, and Will's case remains unsolved. In that episode, uh, I mentioned that, statistically speaking, the odds of being a victim of a violent crime in Moscow was about 1 in 2,500, whereas for the entire state of Idaho, the number is closer to 1 in 415. So overall, Moscow had a relatively low crime rate. In fact, most of the 911 calls involved stray animals, public intoxication, and noise complaints. Prior to today's episode, there had not been a murder in Moscow since 2015, when a man named John Lee went on a murder spree in January that year, killing his adoptive mother, his landlord, and the manager of a local fast food restaurant. For more information on that case, check out Last Call 62 over on Patreon. Because that's right. As I started looking at it, I'm like, I swear I've done this episode before. Yeah. Had to check the notes. That's why I keep all my case files. Huh. Anyhow. So the case for today involves the off-campus housing where Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonzalez, and Zana Kernodal all lived. The girls lived in a six-bedroom home at 1122 King Road with two other girls, Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen. Kaylee had recently moved out, as she had found a job at a marketing firm in Austin, Texas, which was set to begin in February 2023. Kaylee had returned to Moscow on November 12th to show Madison her new car. Later that night, Kaylee and Madison went to a bar in downtown Moscow called The Corner Club. They left the club at 202 North Main Street around 1.30 a.m., and walked a few blocks to the food truck at 318 North Main Street. The truck, which is called Grub Truck, live streams from their tr- location on Twitch. Uh, so there was video of Madison and Kaylee ordering food before getting into a taxi, although it might have been an Uber, it's tough to say. But they arrived at their home on King Road around 2 a.m. 
Soon after, Kaylee tried calling Jack DeCour six times. Kaylee and Jack were high school sweethearts who dated for five years. They broke up about three weeks earlier and continued to share custody of their golden doodle named Murphy. Any excuse uh, to say doodle, and I'm on board. Of course. Zana and Ethan spent the evening at a party at the Sigma Chi frat house uh, with Zana's roommate, Bethany. Zana and Ethan arrived back at King Road around 1.45 a.m., Zana received a DoorDash order around 4 and was using TikTok on her phone at 4.12 a.m. At 4.17, a security camera picked up the distorted sound of what sounded like whimpering, followed by a very loud thud. The camera was located outside a building at 1112 King Road, which is immediately northwest of the house at 1122 the camera sits less than 50 feet from the west wall of Zana's bedroom. Dylan Mortensen, who was sleeping at the house at the time, woke up around 4 a.m. to what she believed was the sound of Kaylee playing with her dog upstairs. Dylan then said it sounded like someone said, there's someone here. Dylan opened her bedroom door but didn't see anything, so she went back to bed. Dylan then heard what she thought sounded like crying coming from Zana's room, followed by a male voice saying, it's okay, I'm going to help you. Dylan opened her door again, but again saw nothing. At 4.17 a.m., Murphy started barking upstairs, which was heard on the security camera next door. This was the same time when the camera also caught the sound of whimpering and the loud thud. Dylan opened her bedroom door the third time. This time, she saw a person wearing all black with a mask covering their nose and mouth. She described them as male, 5 foot 10 or taller, with a non-muscular build and bushy eyebrows. Dylan said she was frozen in fear, so she stood still as this man walked past her to the sliding glass door in the kitchen. For the sake of clarity... 1122 King Road is a three-level house. Bethany's bedroom and a spare room were on the first floor, which also had a door with access to the driveway in the front of the house. The second floor, there was like a living room, Zana's bedroom, Dylan's bedroom, and a kitchen, which had a sliding door that leads to a porch on the back of the house. Madison's bedroom and Kaylee's former bedroom were on the third floor. I will post layout photos on our socials at true crime and cocktails on instagram and facebook and at not detectives on twitter yes i still call it twitter and no i won't stop believing that her roommates were having a party and that this random guy was just a party guest dylan returned to her room locked her door and went back to sleep Hours later, Dylan and Bethany discovered that their roommates had been brutally murdered. One of them fainted, while the other called 911 at 11.58 a.m. When investigators arrived, they said it was the worst crime scene they had seen in their careers. The bedroom walls were covered in blood. The bodies of Zana and Ethan were discovered in Zana's room on the second floor, while the bodies of Madison and Kaylee were discovered in Madison's room on the third floor. All four of the victims had been stabbed multiple times 
in the upper body and chest with what was called an edged weapon, uh, believed to be a K-bar knife. Investigators believe that all four victims were likely killed with the same knife. However, as of this record, the weapon has not been found. During an interview, Kaylee's family said that Kaylee's injuries were, quote, significantly more brutal than Madison's. I mean, that kind of thing makes you feel like maybe Kaylee was the initial intended target. Uh, None of the victims were restrained in any way, so it's believed that they were asleep at the time of the attack. Although it appears that Zana was the only one that had any defensive wounds, so it's possible she was awake. Um, There was no sign of any sexual assault. An autopsy listed their cause of death as sharp force injuries. At the time of their deaths, Madison and Kaylee were both just 21 years old, while Zana and Ethan were both just 20. Kayla's dog, sorry, Kaylee's dog Murphy was found unharmed in Kaylee's former bedroom on the third floor, a diamond-shaped shoe print similar to the pattern found on the bottom of like a van's shoe. Uh, was found outside the back sliding door off the kitchen. On Madison's bed, between the two girls' bodies, investigators found a tan leather knife sheath lying face down, partially under Madison and partially under the comforter. The sheath was stamped with the word K-Bar, as well as the globe and anchor insignia of the U.S. Marine Corps, The sheath was tested and found to have a small spot of male DNA on the button. Investigators believe the murders occurred between 4 and 4.25 a.m. However, they struggled to find a motive for the killings. Why were those four specifically targeted? It's possible only one victim was the intended target. However, that theory also kind of doesn't make sense because if only one was the target, the killer would likely kill them and the person they're sharing a room with for the sake of not leaving any witnesses. But then why go to another floor and another room and attack two more people, but then leave two other people still alive in the building? Like, none of it really makes any sense. Maybe there were two targets. Maybe it was all just random. It's just so odd for a killer to enter a house with six people and only murder four especially when one of the survivors was a potential witness. So then you have to wonder if the four were specifically targeted over what we may never know. So who are the potential suspects in the case? Well, some people were quick to blame the two surviving roommates, Bethany and Dylan, as it seemed odd that the killer would leave them alive. And because there was nearly eight hours between the crime and their 911 call. And of course, I'm going to say right out the gate, I don't believe that either of these girls were involved in any way. There is absolutely no motive for them. I honestly don't believe that they would both just go to bed and wait hours before calling the police if they knew genuinely what had happened. Uh, Another potential suspect is the unnamed man who drove Madison and Kaylee home from the food truck. Based on a neighbor's ring camera, Police were able to confirm that the girls did arrive home safely and alone. Investigators have publicly stated that they have spoken to the driver, but they don't believe that he is involved in any way. 
When Madison and Kaylee stopped for food, the truck was streaming video through Twitch so the girls can be seen ordering their food and waiting for it to be ready. In the video, there is a man in a white hoodie who appears to just kind of be hovering in the area. He arrives shortly after the girls first appear on video, and then he leaves around the same time that Madison and Kaylee do. The man also didn't order any food, so it just feels really suspicious. Uh, Police have stated the man, whose identity has not been made public, was identified and that he was ruled out as a suspect. Some people uh, have questioned whether Kaylee's ex-boyfriend, Jack DeCour, was a suspect. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, Kaylee and Jack were high school sweethearts who broke up five years into their relationship. The breakup occurred just three weeks before the murders. The couple shared custody of their dog, Murphy, so we know they were still in contact. I don't know the details of the breakup, but Kaylee's family is fully supportive of Jack and they said there was no animosity between them. Uh, they even suggested that Kaylee and Jack were in the process of getting back together. On the night of the murders, Kaylee called Jack six times between 2.26 and 2.44 a.m. Then Madison called Jack three times between 2.44 and 2.52 a.m. Neither girl made or received a call after that. During a press conference, police were asked about the calls, to which the police chief stated, quote, Everything that we've taken from those calls, we've followed up, we've cleared, and we believe there's no connection there. And while I am usually pretty quick to be suspicious of a boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, because statistically speaking, the partner is quite often involved in some way. In this case, for whatever reason, I don't think Jack was involved in the grand scheme of anything being possible, sure. And yes, he might have motive if Kaylee had been the one to end the relationship. But then it absolutely doesn't explain why Zana and Ethan were killed. Why wouldn't you just go to the one room, kill the girl, and then leave? Like, it doesn't make sense why you'd go to another room. If the motive here was anger over a breakup, the killer would likely enter the house, kill their ex, maybe someone else in the room, just in case, especially if they woke up during the attack. But then I assume they'd leave. If the breakup was the motive, I don't see why the suspect would go to a separate floor of the house and kill another two people before leaving. Since the killer seems to have left through the sliding door in the kitchen, he had to go to the second floor. However, why not just leave before you get caught? Why and go why go and kill two more people who weren't involved in the relationship? It can't be simply because one or both witnessed something that night because the killer didn't harm Dylan Mortensen, even though he potentially just walked right past her as he was leaving. Something I should also mention in that uh, the suspect pool could be larger than the police realize. Now, I'm not 100% on the accuracy of this, but I have read um, that the house where the crime was committed was considered to be a bit of a party house, which is not unusual for a group of college kids. But the front door allegedly had a number lock on it, and the code to get in was not only known by the five people who lived there, but also all of their friends and kind of their friends' friends. 
so that people just kind of randomly dropped by whenever. And so it feels like a lot of people knew this code. And if this is true, I mean, any number of people could have known the code, which greatly broadens how many people could have been in that house that night. It also means the killer might have been able to get inside, whether the front door was locked or not. I have not heard if the front door was locked. I haven't heard anything that listed something like, um, was there breaking and entering? Was there any of that? It seems like the person just got in the house fairly easily is what it sounds like. Uh, So with a large suspect pool and the fact that I don't believe the ex-boyfriend had anything to do with it, what suspect am I going to talk about next? Well, you'll just have to stick around after the break to find out. You heard the lady. Grab another drink, hit the can, and we're going to be back with more on the University of Idaho murders on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the University of Idaho murders. Before the break, I was perplexed. I was riveted. What you got next for us? Will, in the weeks following the murders, police were at a loss as to who could be responsible. At-home detectives and podcasters swarmed the Moscow area, hoping that they would be the one to find something to just finally crack the case. Now, forgive me if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I'm going with what I had heard, but uh, it could just be that person was wrong as well. But there is a YouTuber named Ashley Gillard who believed she had properly identified the killer. Using a TikTok account called Ashley Solves Mysteries, Ashley publicly posted six videos in late November 2022 in which she claimed that Rebecca Schofield, the chair of the University of Idaho History Department, was responsible for the murders. Rebecca joined the university in 2016 and became a department chair in 2021. At the time of the murders, Rebecca was about 37 years old. So since Rebecca was in Portland when the murders occurred, Ashley claimed that Rebecca hired someone to commit the crime. The motive? Well, according to Ashley, Rebecca was in a secret relationship with Kaylee Gonzalez. 
Ashley claims that Rebecca used a collaborative book app to secretly communicate with Kaylee's ex-boyfriend, Jack, to organize the murders. Now, according to Ashley, Rebecca wanted to go public with the relationship, but Kaylee did not. So Rebecca enlisted Kaylee's ex-boyfriend, Jack, to perpetrate the murders. My question is, why? Yeah. If the secret relationship was true, which I have not seen a single speck of evidence that it was, why would Rebecca want to go public when she was the one who was married at the time? And even if it was all true, why on earth would the ex-boyfriend willingly go along with it? Ashley claims Rebecca offered him financial security and a better collegiate experience at the university. To be clear, not only is there no proof that Rebecca had ever met any of the four victims, but also, according to the University of Idaho, Rebecca never taught any of those kids. So it just makes zero sense that Rebecca would ever want those kids dead when she didn't know they existed. There is nothing that has ever proven she ever knew any of them. And I know love and money are two very big motives. But for one thing, police already cleared the ex-boyfriend. And there are two very, well, there are a lot of holes in Ashley's theory. Imagine a woman starting an affair. Weeks into it, the woman decides She's going to leave her husband and be with her lover. So far, scenario seems plausible. Less than a month into the affair, the woman's going to leave her husband. But the lover doesn't want, isn't interested in being public. So the married woman responds by going to her lover's ex and asking him to kill her. And three other people. I guess my question is, where did this woman come up with this? What's her motive in oh. this? Uh, well, to jump the gun a bit, Ashley claims she came up with it in a tarot reading. See, this is this isn't great. This is why sound baths have a bad name. Sound bath, more like blood bath. Am I right? <laughs> no, I kid. No. Wowzer. Um, okay, so she's yeah. saying she, so, but did she go, okay, you may not know the answers to these questions. Did this woman go to this school? Like, did she have no, a, not that I can tell. So she somehow came up with Rebecca Schofield. Um, yes, I will slightly explain it briefly. I'm getting ahead as of myself. I'm can. getting ahead of us. I'm getting ahead of us. Go ahead. I just, I, no, I'm you're doing per- the right thing because it makes no sense. I'm perplexed. Yeah, it makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah. So, again, there is no proof that Rebecca and Kaylee knew each other in any way. But to me, the entire thing falls apart because Ashley is claiming Rebecca hired Kaylee's ex for the crime. If Rebecca was going to hire someone, which, again, there is zero proof of, why wouldn't she choose a stranger who, I don't know, maybe had experience in killing and no history with the victim? To be clear, I don't think anyone should kill another person or hire someone to kill someone uh, for them. But why hire the victim's ex-boyfriend? If he gets caught, he easily leads the police back to her. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense at all. 
And since, statistically speaking, a current or former partner are always the first person police look at after a homicide, why choose someone that would be immediately on the police's suspect list? It makes zero sense. But Ashley claims this book app that Rebecca allegedly used to contact Kaylee's ex has photos and video from the murder. However, I think if that were true, the police would not have cleared him and they would have potentially arrested Rebecca or Jack or somebody by this point. Rebecca's lawyers sent two cease and desist letters to Ashley, one on November 29th and one on December 8th. The letters ordered Ashley to stop posting any defamatory content about Rebecca, to remove all defamatory content that had already been posted, and to issue an apology to Rebecca. Not only did Ashley ignore these letters, but she has since doubled down and posted even more to try and cast blame on Rebecca. Even after the police made an arrest in the case, which we will get to shortly, Ashley claimed that the suspect was just a pawn in the massive scheme orchestrated by Rebecca. Rebecca Schofield has since filed a defamation suit against Ashley. There is no date set for that trial, but Ashley has said she plans to represent herself. Oh, wowzer. Okay. Ashley tried to get the defamation suit dismissed, but just weeks ago, on November 20th, 2023, a judge denied the motion to dismiss. Ashley filed a countersuit claiming that she was being discriminated against because of her spiritual practice and that the entire thing has ruined both her reputation and her business. She started it! She started it! Yeah. Now, Rebecca uh, makes zero sense as a suspect. So what was Ashley's reason for going after Rebecca as hard as she did? According to Ashley... She did a series of tarot readings that led her to believe that someone from the university's history department was involved in the murders. Ashley said she used her psychic intuition to spiritually inquire about each of the faculty members listed on the history department's website. She then said her investigative skills and intuitive abilities led her to zero in on Rebecca Schofield. Ashley's claims that the police or Ashley claims the police aren't willing to fully investigate Rebecca simply because Ashley got Rebecca's name through a tarot reading. I assume it has more to do with the fact that there is no proof that Rebecca was involved. And the fact that she absolutely got her name through a tarot reading. This is not this isn't these are people's lives. This is so offensive yeah. to me. I got to be honest. I'm offended on as de- a terrorist. As a t- <laughs> thank you for, as a tarot enthusiast, but also yeah. as someone in the true crime space. Don't do this. Don't do this. No. These are people's lives. These are people's loved ones. We're looking for a killer. Yeah. Back off. That's so inappropriate. It's such a like oh that 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 stuff makes my blood boil. Don't 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 get, don't put your head in there, by the way. And make noise that's not helping. Correct. Yeah. I I don't get it. But then to be like, well, this has hurt me and that's, my business. And it's like, 
Oh, well. First of all, no one knew who you were until you were doing this, I'm assuming. And you've made a real splash for yourself. Um, yeah. I can't. Yeah. So, since none of the people who host this show believe that Rebecca had anything to do with it, let's look at a suspect who is a legitimate suspect, let's shall do it. we? While investigating the murders, police went through the footage of the security cameras in the neighborhood. They noticed a white sedan with no front license plate that drove past 1122 King Road three times in the span of half an hour between 3.29 a.m. and I guess 3.59 on the night of the murders. Then at 4.04 a.m., the white sedan appears on the street for a fourth time and leaves around 4.20. The same vehicle was seen on five separate security cameras around 5.25 a.m. on the Washington State University campus in Pullman. When police checked cameras earlier in the evening, they discovered that white sedan was seen traveling in Pullman at 2.44 a.m., then on Washington State Route 270 at 253. Route 270 connects Pullman, Washington to Moscow, Idaho, and they're only about nine miles or 15 kilometers apart. Police were able to determine that the white sedan was likely a 2011 to 2016 model Hyundai Hyundai Elantra. So they checked to see how many white Elantras were registered at Washington State University, and they found a 2015 Elantra registered to a man named Brian Koberger, who just so happened to match the physical description of the potential killer given to the police by Dylan Martinson. Brian was a 28-year-old PhD student studying criminology at Washington State University. He also had undergraduate degrees in psychology and cloud-based forensics, which apparently deals with mostly like identity theft and data breaches and stuff like that. In the fall of 2022, Brian applied for an internship at the Pullman Police Department. Brian was from Pennsylvania, which does not require a vehicle to use a front license plate. As you may recall from the security footage of that white sedan, the vehicle did not have a front license plate. Based on a traffic stop in Moscow in August 2022, Brian's vehicle was using a Pennsylvania license plate, which was set to expire on November 30th. At the time of the murders, Brian's vehicle would not have had a front license plate, just like the car in the security footage. Four days after the murders, Brian registered his vehicle in Washington and received a new license plate. How convenient. Police then got a search warrant for Brian's phone, and they discovered on the night of the murders, Brian's cell phone was pinging off the towers near his home in Pullman at 2.42 a.m. The phone then left the house and traveled south before either being turned off or being out of the service area at 2.47. The phone did not return to the network until 4.48 when it pinged a tower near Highway 95, which is just south of Moscow. The phone continued to travel 16 miles or 26 kilometers south um, to a small town that has like a thousand people in it. 
Then the phone was returned to Brian's residence around 5.30 a.m. According to a police affidavit, the phone's movements are consistent with those of the white sedan in the security video. Around 9 a.m., less than five hours after the murders, Brian's phone left the house where it pinged a tower near the crime scene in Moscow, where it remained from 9.12 to 9.21. At 9.32, the phone headed back to Brian's residence and has not been in the Moscow area since. According to phone records, Brian opened that phone account in June 2022, and it the phone pinged off the tower nearest to the King Road crime scene at least 12 times between June and the murders in November. On one occasion, the phone was there between 10.34 and 11.35 p.m. The 11 other times, it was always deep in the middle of the night. Like we're talking 2 a.m., 3 a.m., that sort of thing. Around the time that Brian showed up on the police's radar, he decided to return to his parents' house in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. On December 27th, police recovered trash from the Koberger house in Pennsylvania, sent it to a lab to compare it with the DNA that they found on the knife sheath that was discovered at the crime scene. The DNA from the trash was male and likely to be the biological father of the man whose DNA was found at the crime scene. How likely? Well, according to the lab, at least 99.9998% likely. Brian Koberger uh, has since done a cheek swab and his DNA came back as a statistical match to that found at the crime scene. In fact, it was said it was 5.4 octillion times more likely that Brian's DNA is on that knife sheath compared to it being possibly anybody else. For those unaware, because I was, in Canada and the U.S., an octillion is a one followed by 27 zeros. In Britain and Germany, it's a one followed by 48 zeros. On December 29th, Brian Koberger was charged with four counts of murder in the first degree. The following day, his apartment was searched. It was said to be sparsely furnished with very few belongings, just a few books, a TV, and a computer. The trash cans were empty and there was no shower curtain in the bathroom, which I find That's interesting. interesting. Right? Uh, the storage space that Brian had with the apartment was empty, and when they w- police went to it, the door was ajar, uh, as though someone had recently just emptied it in a hurry, maybe. Um, they also searched Brian's office at the university, but found that the desk was empty. More than 60 reddish-brown stains were found throughout Brian's apartment, a stain on a pillow and one on a mattress cover tested positive for blood. Another red spot on the kitchen counter was found, but they were unable to test it at the scene. It was removed for further testing, but all sinks and the shower drain were tested for signs of blood, but the results were negative. 
strands of possible animal hair were also found at Brian's home. So not a lot was found at Brian's home. And when his car was searched, there was no sign of blood, which is unusual given the messy nature of the crime scene. But they did find Brian's DNA at the crime scene, and his vehicle was on security cameras in the area at the time of the murders. Brian claims he would often go for long drives in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep. It's just the fact that the one time the murder occurred was the only time he turned his phone off for that very specific amount of time during the random driving. Seems uh, kind of suspicious. Yeah. Um, But I know most of the evidence they have against him is circumstantial, but the fact that he was in the area at the time and then returned hours later at 9 a.m. and then didn't go back after that, it just feels like he was returning to the scene of the crime, allegedly, because he wanted to see, like, have the cops found out yet? Like, why would he return there at 9 a.m. when he had never done that before? He had only ever gone there at night. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. But again, then there's the fact that according to those who knew him, Brian's behavior changed after the crime happened. In the months leading up to the crime, Brian was working as a teacher's assistant at Washington State University. According to a Vanity Fair article, Brian had a reputation for being a particularly harsh grader who was very critical towards students. But after November 13th, the students said Brian was chattier than usual, more upbeat. He also started giving out higher grades, and the feedback he gave to students was lighter and more pleasant. One of Brian's neighbors said that a few days after the murders, Brian randomly asked him about it. The neighbor said, quote, he brought it up in conversation. He asked if I'd heard about the murders, which I did. And then he said, yeah, seems like they have no leads. Seems like a crime of passion. Now, which is a random thing uh, to say, but uh, with all this being said, what would Brian's motive be from The best that investigators can tell, he didn't know any of the victims personally. According to his phone records, he was in the King Road area at least 12 times between June and November. I am just speculating here. Is it possible during one of those late night drives, Brian spotted one of the victims? Maybe he became infatuated with her. Maybe he continued to show up in the area in the hopes of seeing her. Again, just speculating, but maybe he bumped into her at a bar at some point and she turned him down because this certainly wouldn't be the first time that someone was murdered simply because a man couldn't handle rejection. Of course. Or since I'm speculating, maybe it all came down to Brian believing he was smarter than law enforcement and that he'd be able to pull off the perfect murder. A psychotherapist named John Kelly was interviewed about the case, and he suggested the killer may have purposely left the knife sheath behind to try and make police suspect someone in the military. Because as you may recall, the sheath had a U.S. Marine Corps insignia stamped into it. It's more than possible the killer, believing the sheath was completely wiped down, left it in the hopes that police would start looking for suspects in the wrong direction. Since Brian had never been in the Marines, and since he was a vegan, 
and the sheath was made of leather, at first it looks like it could never possibly belong to Brian. With that in mind, it doesn't seem like Brian would be a suspect at all if it weren't for the DNA found on the sheath. Or, you know, all that security footage of his vehicle being near the scene and his phone, but neither here nor there. So did the sheath get left behind by accident or was it, I mean, with exception to that being there, it was nearly a perfectly executed crime. Right. Because with exception to that, there did not seem to be any bit of him in that house. He never would have been on the radar, I guess, except for the car. Um, But is it possible he left it behind on purpose so that police would immediately think, well, this is someone from the military because it's a military sheath on it. It's got to be a a guy from the Marines and then immediately just go off um, and start looking at completely different people. Yeah. Again, I'm only speculating because as of this record, the trial has not happened, and so Brian has not been convicted of anything. In August 2023, Brian waived his right to a speedy trial. It was originally scheduled to begin October 2nd, but has since been postponed. As of this record, no trial date has been set. On November 21st, 2023, a judge banned news cameras from being in the courtroom when the trial does happen. But it was said that the trial would be live streamed. And so that I'm like, well, then what's the difference? Yeah. Between like, if you're going to live stream it, I'm also totally okay if we don't live stream trials. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't just like, I'm okay if that's just, you know, mm. if it's a matter of like public record, I could understand them filming it. Like, have it filmed for posterity. Sure. And then it's kept in a file. You know what I mean? I get that. Sure. Um, as, like, a part of record. But, yeah, I, I hear you. It's it's such an odd thing. Because, again, it is a matter of public, whatever it is, public record or whatever, however you, you label it, right? Um, like, we were all, we are all, as whatever citizens owed the like ability to i guess sure but i don't know that we need to live stream it i agree with you it feels weird it feels like it's a bit of a show it feels like it's it's again like this is the part of the genre that gets sticky right because it's like are we doing that to learn from it are we doing that to raise awareness in some way or are we doing it to be looky loose yeah to me it's either recorded or, like, if you're not allowing news cameras, then you shouldn't allow it to be live streamed. Like, it's just a weird, We're, what's the big difference between a camera versus being live streamed as far as, like, privacy or whatever goes? Oh, yeah. I hear you. I don't think there is a difference. No. It's just, it's just all weird. Yeah. The future, um, the future is here. We're in the future currently. Yeah. Then we don't, nobody knows what we're doing. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, thank God, because I never know what I'm doing. Same. Now, one of my favorite things on this show is when you profile a suspect. Thank you. So to help with that profile, I present to you the following. 
Oh, I'm getting hot. Brian Koberger was born in November 1994 in Pennsylvania. He's the youngest of three children and the only boy. His parents worked both worked for the Pleasant Valley School District. His father was a maintenance worker and his mother was a special needs teacher. Brian had a difficult childhood as he was bullied in school. Classmates described him as awkward and a creepy loner. Um, they said he was always looking for ways to try and fit in. Brian was diagnosed with visual snow syndrome, which is a disorder that causes a person to see tiny flickering dots. According to the Mayo Clinic, it affects about 2% of the population. I read that it is caused by an infection or from some sort of brain trauma, although I didn't come across anything to suggest that Brian had any sort of physical injury in his youth. Um, in 2009, Brian wrote, uh, well, I should say quickly, this visual snow syndrome, it's like when it's like how uh, when a TV shows snow and it's just like all like the little dots, they see little dots just everywhere all the time, which feels, you know, horrific. Uh, in 2009, Brian wrote on a message board. This was... Uh, his specific post, and I quote, I am 15 in 21 days and don't want to wish I'm dead because of this horrible thing. Something major is wrong with me. I am just a blank soul. I used to be a spelling bee champion. My doctor put me on every medication and it made me crazy. I always feel as if I'm not there, completely depersonalized. Mentally, I feel like my life is a movie. I have delusions of grandeur, poor social skills, no emotion, which was all caps. I can say and do whatever I want with little remorse. Everyone hates me pretty much. I'm an asshole. I broke my table for no reason. I find no joy in life. I simply don't want to live anymore. Around this time, Brian started using heroin. I don't know how long that lasted. Uh, he graduated from high school in 2013 and went to work at Pleasant Valley High School as a security guard. While living in Pennsylvania, Brian was known for visiting a brewery called Seven Sirens Brewing, Brewing Company in Bethlehem. The staff said he would come in alone and just kind of stare at people. Then after a few beers, he'd start harassing women, both patrons and employees. He'd ask them like, who they were with and, you know, where they lived, which is not appropriate behavior. No. Uh, if the woman tried to put some distance between them, Brian would allegedly lash out. One time he allegedly snapped at a female bartender and called her a bitch because she refused to answer his question. Sir, women do not owe you anything. We don't owe you any explanations, and we are not obligated to answer your questions or talk to you in general. You simply existing in the same space as a woman does not give you any rights to anything about her. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that about any and all genders. No one owes you anything. If you see someone, you find them attractive, you want to talk to them, great. Shoot your shot. But the second they seem uninterested, that's your cue to hightail it. Get it. Scram. Scoot. Get. That's it. You're allowed to talk to people, but the second they're not interested, 
Walk away. Walk away. It's done. It's that easy. Walk away. When Brian lashed out at the female bartender, the brewery's owner had to intervene and tell Brian to be more respectful. Brian allegedly responded saying, quote, I don't know what you're talking about. You have me totally confused. Okay. In 2015, Brian went on a Tinder date with a university student named Haley. She said they went to see a movie and he seemed quiet, but polite. According to Haley, when Brian dropped her off at her dorm, he just like invited himself inside. So they watched another movie and Brian started tickling her. She told him to stop. And without any expression on his face, he said, I'm not even touching you. That's terrifying. Yep. Yep. Haley excused herself to go to the bathroom and Brian allegedly followed her and just stood right outside the bathroom door. So to get him to leave, Haley started making noises like she was throwing up. Kudos to her for that quick thinking, by the way. Yeah. Brian then messaged her and told her he was going to leave. An hour later, Brian messaged her again and told Haley that she had, and I'm directly quoting here, good birthing hips. The two have not spoken since. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, good birthing hips. Even if it's true, no one wants to hear it. No, not at all. It's just, I can't. So, in 2018, Brian graduated from Northampton Community College with an associate degree in psychology. In 2020, he completed a bachelor's degree in psychology from DeSales University, where he graduated in May 2022 with a master's in criminal justice. In June 2022, Brian posted a survey on Reddit saying he was looking for information from people who had committed crimes so that he could, quote, understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime. Uh, this is the moment I remind you of that message board post when he was 15, when he posted he feels nothing. Yeah, well, but also I understand what we may post as teenagers. You might not feel the same way years later, but I'm just saying to go from one where it's like, I feel nothing, all of this. And now he would like people to tell him how certain, what emotions they feel when committing crimes is, um, because his theory, I would argue is sure. Maybe if I kill, I'll feel. Oh, I could see that. So he wants to find out ahead of time before he tests is out. Is that going to work? Right. Is it going to work? Mm. What do other people have to say? I wouldn't be surprised. That's chilling. Yeah. Uh, he claimed it was part of a university-sanctioned research study. Um, one of the three researchers involved was an assistant professor. So I assume it was legitimately tied to the university. I have not seen otherwise. But this, it was a very lengthy survey. Um, and there were like, it started off with basic questions about like age, gender, ethnicity, criminal history. And then the questions got like a little weird. Um, 
The questions were open-ended and involved the participants' most recent criminal offense. To give you an idea, these are just a few of the questions. Um, How did you travel to and enter the location where the crime occurred? Oh, boy. After arriving, what steps did you take prior to locating the victim or target? Before making your move, how did you approach the victim or target? How did you accomplish your goals? Which is an odd way of saying it. How did you leave the scene? Now, I mean, at this point, it just feels like he's asking for tips um, to how to get away with a crime. And yes, he did work on this project with two other people. So maybe he wasn't involved with the content or wasn't as involved with the content um, as the other people on the survey. But he is listed as the main contact. So it feels like it's more him than anybody Mm -hmm. else. But um, I find it interesting that, again, that post at 15 where he said he doesn't feel emotion and a decade later, he's posting on Reddit asking what emotions criminals feel. Um, Almost like he was looking for a way to feel anything at all. Yeah. There we go. Uh, One of the questions that stood out to me the most, and I quote, At a co-worker's housewarming party, You spill red wine on their new cream-colored carpet. You cover the stain with a chair so that nobody notices your mess. What is the likelihood you would feel that the way you acted was pathetic? First off, leading the witness, Your Honor. Yes. Yeah, great point. It's one thing to say, how would you feel in this scenario? Or... If this particular thing happened, would you feel remorse? It's the use of the word pathetic that immediately makes me think whoever wrote that question has anger issues. I am, of course, not an expert, but pathetic is what makes alarm bells go off for me. Well, to me, that was his control question. Meaning, he needs to know if this person aligns the way he does. Because I assume to him that is a pathetic move. I don't know. I think that I could see him going the other way where it was like, well, what was I supposed to do? So if, so his judgment would be somebody saying that it would make you feel pathetic. This is a, sure. this is a theory, speculation. So if the person who's answered this survey in ways that he feels resonates with him, that's his one yeah. question to see if they really align. And if the person says they would feel pathetic, my gut is telling me he'd be like, loser. Okay, this isn't like me. This person isn't like me. Interesting. Because he talked about having like delusions of grandeur and stuff like that. Yeah. Great call. Yeah. See, this is why we do this. So in August 2022, Brian started working as a teaching assistant in the criminology department as part of his graduate program. Within a month, He was under investigation for behavioral problems and, quote, a sexist attitude towards females he interacted with at the school. Uh Brian was described by university students as arrogant and aggressively pretentious, desperate to prove the intellectual superiority, especially over women. One student said, quote, 
One thing he would always do, almost without fail, was find the most complicated way to explain something. Brian got into arguments with professors and was described as belligerent and feisty. After several meetings where it was stated that Brian had failed to improve on his behavior, he was officially fired from his teaching assistant position on December 19th. Brian had left town to head home for the holidays in mid-December. The FBI, who were wary of him and keeping an eye on his movements by this point, attempted to follow him but lost him on the first part of that journey home. The license plate on Brian's vehicle was scanned in Colorado on December 13th, which allowed the FBI to secretly follow him from there. Two traffic stops occurred while he was in Indiana on December 15th. Both stops, which occurred within minutes of each other, involved Brian following too closely behind another vehicle. He was given a verbal warning both times. The officer's body cam footage from the second stop has been posted online. Uh, Brian's father, Michael Koberger, flew to Washington so that he could accompany Brian on the 2,500-mile or 4,000-kilometer trip from Pullman, Washington to Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. It was never said why he took part in the road trip, but I'm curious if he made the initial trip when Brian first went to Washington in June 2022, because if Michael had driven with Brian the first time to help with driving or just simply keep him company, it makes sense that he would do it a second time. But also at this point, I will point out, this was just Brian supposedly going home for the holiday. So right. why, instead of his dad flying all the way out there to have him drive home, and then with the assumption he would be driving all the way back after, why not just fly home? Yeah. And you may be like, well, maybe he needs a vehicle there. And it's like, I'm sure there's a vehicle there he could use. Yeah. To me, if you're driving all the way home, that means you did not plan on coming back because he didn't get fired until he'd already left. Interesting. Like he was at home when he got fired. Because according to uh, police, he arrived in Pennsylvania on December 17th. He was fired on the 19th. So... He didn't know he was fired yet. I would definitely say that he wants the ability to run. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to take my car. I'm going to drive because I want to be able to get out of Dodge literally like that if I have to. Now, the flawed logic being, of course, that it's like, well, they'll fall. They'll they'll be able to track your car. But I don't sure. know that he was thinking about that in that in that context. I just assume he hadn't even considered the security camera catching his car. Yeah, I think at that point he thought he had no idea that his car would even be suspected. And how much it would stand out without a front plate on it. Yeah. In a state that has front plates. Yeah. But. So Brian and Michael arrived in Pennsylvania on December 17th. Days later, pe police were able to obtain that piece of trash which they used to get a DNA sample, which was found to be Brian Koberger, which led them to realize that the sample they had was the biological son of um, Ma Michael Koberger. And of course, 
Brian is the only son. So, once the sample was found to be a match to the sample found at the scene, police were able to have Brian extradited to Idaho to face four murder charges. As I mentioned earlier, the case has not yet gone to trial, which tends to happen more with the more recent cases, but the dear people wanted something recent, so recent they got. Yes. Uh, never fear, we will do some sort of update once the trial has happened. Once once we have an official, the trial's done, and we have more information, then we'll get into it. Um, one final thing I will say about this case in October 2023, it was announced that the house at 1122 King Road will be demolished. As of now, no date has been set for that. Uh, and while I can't give you a resolution in this case, I can give you a resolution in another case that also involved the death of a University of Idaho student. On August 22nd, 2011, 22-year-old grad student Catherine Benoit, known as Katie, was shot 11 times with a 45 caliber handgun on the front step of her home in Moscow. She was described as innately kind and smart with a passion for learning. The day after Katie's murder, the man responsible, 31-year-old Ernesto Bustamante, shot himself in the head in a Moscow hotel room. It turns out that Katie and Ernesto had previously been in a relationship, even though Katie was a student and Ernesto was a professor. Ernesto immediately started flirting with Katie the moment she entered his class in the fall of 2010. She later said that by the end of the semester, they were dating. Ernesto joined the faculty at the University of Idaho in August 2007 as an assistant professor in the psychology department. Ernesto was also known to suffer from dissociative disorder. He had five known distinct personalities. Ernesto had told Katie he called one of those personalities the beast, and he called another one a psychopathic killer. Wow. Maybe shouldn't be in the psychology department, but, you know. Uh, Katie said Ernesto owned at least five handguns and that he had at least one on him at all times, including when he was sleeping, um, while he was on campus, and simply any time he answered his front door. Katie and Ernesto broke up in March 2011 after Ernesto started to become violent towards her, Three months later, Katie sent an email to the university's Office of Human Rights to file an official complaint. Katie said she wanted to come forward about his behavior earlier, but she was scared for her personal safety and academic career. She admitted to their personal relationship and said on three separate occasions, Ernesto held a loaded gun to Katie's head and then graphically explained how he was planning on using it. At one point, he also put the gun in her mouth. It turns out that other students had also made complaints to the university about Ernesto. One said that if a student ever questioned him, Ernesto would say, quote, it's never a good idea to piss me off. Another student claimed that Ernesto, quote, talked about shooting students and implied he was drunk and high every other day. And before any of these complaints, a student contacted the university's hotline in December 2010 to say that Ernesto had coerced several students into having orgies. Oh my god. 
Yeah. Due to the complaints, Ernesto resigned on August 19th, 2011. Three days later, he murdered Katie. The University of Idaho continues to honor Katie every September through the Katie Benoit Campus Safety Awareness Month. The school puts on various workshops to help students stay feel safe on campus. They also placed a bench in front of the university with a plaque that reads, Katie Benoit, in memory of Katie's journey, her care of others, her willingness to speak up, and her courage to make a difference. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. Wowzer. So much to get into. Yeah. So much to discuss. Let's take one more break. Hit the can again. Grab one more drink and we'll be back with our thoughts on the Idaho University murder episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the University of Idaho murders. All right. Where to begin? Where to begin? Um, you mentioned, well, first of all, Ethan Chapin, one of three triplets. I feel like we're going to hear more and more about that. Like, you know, there was such a wave of those, like, multi, multi, I was going to say multi-baby litters. <laughs> Litters. It is, we're not, wow. these aren't cats or dogs, Lauren. Um, but, there, you know, that was happening a lot, I feel like, at the early in the early 2000s. People were having, like, sure. sets of twins, sets of triplets. Like, that was, like, a, a common sure. thing. Um, yeah. But it just also feels, like, so wild to be, like, one of three triplets. Like, well, obviously three, that's redundant. A triplet is, is rare, period. I think so, Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you did say that, Z- that Zana and Ethan started dating in 2022. Uh, you started dating in 2002. And I believe oh, you did. Misspoke. I owe oh, 2022. Yeah. Yes, I'm just saying course. that for those that are listening that were like, are they going to address it? I did. Well done. Always, always call me on that. Yeah. Because, because Nana over here is easily going to read. I guarantee it says 2022 in my notes. And mentally, that's what I. Oh, yeah. Red, and that's what I thought I said. Same thing happens to me. Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's not. There's no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is wild that, again, we did cover that other, uh, the Will Hendrick case also in Moscow. Um, yeah. And then to hear, you know, there's some other ones too. It's It's like, it does feel like for such a relatively safe, small place, not the case. It's weird that this happened 
two months after that episode. Yeah, great I'm point. not suggesting that those are connected in any way. I'm just saying it's such a weird, because at the time I was like, God, there hasn't been a murder in seven years and it's whatever. And then two months later, this horrific thing. Yeah, that's wild. Mm. Um, okay. 1.45, they arrive home. 4 a.m., a DoorDash order is delivered. First of all, respect. Oh, yeah. Um, 4.17, the camera picked up noises. It's very interesting, this timeline. Now, I'm curious to see the, the layouts that you're going to post, because as someone who dated a man who lived in a frat house when I was in my very early 20s, Mm-hmm. I will say that those houses, if it's anything like those houses, they are sure. massive. Like, truly, there could be, you could be doing construction in one area of the house and not hear it in the basement. You know what I mean? Like, sure, those houses are huge. But I don't know if this is as big as those houses. I My, my perception is that it's not. But obviously, sure. when you're dealing with a multi-floor dwelling, multi-floor dwelling, who am I? A realtor? Um, I'm here for it. It can be tough to hear things. I do just feel like this one is just the 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 actual how the crime actually went down is what is the big question mark for me. How did this person get in? How did this person yeah. know where the bedrooms were? Great question. Now I know that. I think a lot of people's perception or my perception would be going into a multi-floor house that the bedrooms would be upstairs. I could see right. someone just assuming that. Um, sure. Even though we know there was also bedrooms on the main floor. Right. There was two bedrooms on each, all three floors. Right. So, yeah. but I could see someone who isn't necessarily familiar with the place. Yeah. I could see someone... Doing that. Now, my question is this. He's older, obviously, than the, uh, the the suspect is older than the victims, right? Yes, he was 28, I believe, at his arrest. He was 28. But not impossible that he could have been in that house at some point prior. Oh, it's more than possible. He happened uh, past and there was a party and he just walked in and people just assumed he was part of the party. Right. It's possible he met some kid that worked at that house or lived at that house at somewhere else, another party at a bar at something, and they all just gravitated back to the house. So it's more than possible he'd been in that house before. Could have also overheard kids talking. Oh, come to this party, this house. This is the yep. address. Here's the code. Yep, for sure. Um, again, the details of them being able to kind of track his whereabouts in that car with the video footage, with the cell phone pinging. Yeah. Feels like, you know, I'm curious to see how the trial goes. But again, it feels like we got oh, we got yeah. a few pieces and the DNA. Again, all circumstantial, yes, definitely. But, I mean, we've seen convictions all the last. Um, the Uber driver, I feel like that would be easy to exonerate because that person, I'm assuming, sure. could go here's the list of rides that I did that night after that ride. Like, sure. That feels like an easy one to rule out. The ex-boyfriend, Jack. Yeah, it just doesn't seem 
right to me, um, especially because they had tried calling him so many times that night. It doesn't feel yeah. like, you know, hard to say. Um, I guess for me, it's just, look, there's just details of it that feel odd that like don't really fully make sense to me. Sure. Like how you could kill four people. And again, this is why all of these details are so important because it's like, what's the layout of the house? Now, I know that Dylan did talk about hearing some things, but that she kind of explained them away to herself so she didn't act on them. But with this level of crime and this level of brutality and blood and all of the above, it's interesting that only one of them had defensive wounds. It's interesting to me that there wasn't more chaos. Oh, yeah. And I guess to that, it brings me back to one of my original points or questions, which is like, I'm just very curious about how this went down and why. Oh, the why, if, if he did it, if he doesn't ever just admit why, I mean, no one's ever going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Because it's just, it's the most random, and the idea that it was specifically chosen random, because... He was trying to. The only other you know. thing that I could offer about that, if it was a random crime, is we obviously, not obviously, we historically we know that Ted Bundy, when he had escaped from prison, he did break into a sorority house and killed two women. Sure. So the only other thing I offer in terms of trying to build any sort of motive or profile with with this suspect Brian is, it, it wouldn't shock me if he had a great deal of knowledge about serial killers it wouldn't shock me sure. if he was potentially acting out something as an homage or because we know that regardless of all of the details of why he was involved in this survey on reddit that was trying to get very specific answers right so i could see that kind of brained person be like oh, this is something that Ted Bundy did. I'm going to see what that feels like. Oh, sure. But again, it just feels like killing four people undetected in a brutal way. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I'm riveted. We don't. You don't hear about this. You know what I mean? You don't hear about those kinds of, of details. Um. And, you know, if this is considered a party house, I could understand perhaps it's not that weird to see people coming and going. So obviously Dylan's sure. seeing him, but I'm very curious. That must be a heavy weight to carry if, oh, yeah. in retrospect after the fact, you know, especially when then it was, you know, a full eight hours later before they were found and call and all those kinds of things that's i don't envy that um carrying that emotion that guilt i'm sure she probably carries um but also do we know if he saw her in that moment i don't know it was never said i feel like he mustn't have because why on earth would he left leave her alive leave her alive yeah agreed he must not have he must not have 
I don't know. I just, again, it just, this one again, the, the details of this keep rolling around in my, my Goggin, uh, my Goggin, my Google Noggin, Noggin Google. There it is. There it is. In my Noggin Google. Um, Cause it just doesn't add up. I mean, look, this Ashley Gillard woman who accused Rebecca Schofield, I've already commented on it, but I just have to say again, it's like, look, we're in the true crime space. This is what we do. We love discussing yeah. these things. We love trying to solve them. We love all this stuff. Don't get involved in an active homicide investigation with your tarot cards. Don't do it. Yeah. I know that it's possible that that, that person's intentions were good, but you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, sure. I think we have as a society where there is a lot of access to a lot of information have to choose our moments and inserting yourself into an active recent police investigation. I just can't, I can't co-sign. We know that the police investigations are flawed. We know. And I understand the want to be like, but I can help. I can be rational. I can be all these things. Um, Look, I profile criminals on this show weekly. Like, and I don't have any training. I get it. But I think it's just like, at some point, we also have to acknowledge that it's it's like we have to respect the process at least a little bit. Yeah, cold and case stuff also, is is a little bit different. You know what I mean? Sure. You gotta you gotta feather in your uh, in your cap or or be in your bonnet, and you're like, oh, there's this case, this cold case that I have this interest in and this knowledge of and whatever, and you want to research the heck out of it. I support you there. I support you there fully. Sure. But but inserting into a very recent grisly murder i just i can't co-sign it's also wild to come out and be like it was this person absolutely it was this person bold move of course that judge isn't gonna isn't gonna throw out the defamation suit this is this is a that is look again anyone who listens to this show or or a lot of true crime podcasts we we say we're speculating about anything about stuff that's common in the news The second that you start to, the second that you start to (laughs) say this person absolutely committed four murders, hired someone to commit four murders. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, intense, intensity in 10 cities. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for wording it that way. But yeah, it's bold. It's bold to say openly that this is a person that I think is involved, but then to go so far as repeatedly saying like this person absolutely did it. It's, I mean, it's wild. It's wild. And I believe, listen, I love tarot. We know that anyone who listens to this show knows that we do it over on Patreon all the time. Um, And I think there's lots of, of things that you can, you can uh, glean from that kind of practice but I think that the, it's ultimately all typically about your own intuitions and stuff like that. And I think unless sure. this woman is an absolute clairvoyant, uh, which I'm not saying is impossible in the grand scheme of anything being possible, but unless you are an absolute clairvoyant, um, this isn't about like being able to read energies and have intuitions about what someone may be going through or or what have you. This is again, like it's like, it's just wild. I'm just blown away. Oh, yeah. I'm blown I away. I agree. 
And I don't want to watch her videos because I don't want to give her the views, but I'm also very, very interested. It's fascinating to to find out how she got from one to another. Like, yeah. How she got from one thought to obviously this is what happened. But you know what this is reminding me of? It's shades of the woman who claimed to be Madeline McCann. Oh, sure. It feels similar to me where it's like you are looking. You are looking to try and get. I'll say it. It feels like an attention grab there. Why am I trying to like be so protective and, and tiptoe? That's what it feels like to me. It's interesting. I mean, I get that this wasn't the first um, thing that she's done because she has a YouTube channel and then she also has TikTok. And I know this isn't the first case, but I just... But is I she... Mean, it seems the first one that she's gotten this much attention on. So is she She has a decent following, I think. And is she... You may not know the answer to this. Is she accusing people of crimes all the time? I don't know. This was the first one. I, this is the only one I heard that has defamation suits involved. I just, and listen, let me clarify my comment if it feels like an attention grab. To me, any t this isn't someone who's sitting in their home and doing this and then contacting the police in private. The second that you're putting it sure. on to a social media account, you are trying to get likes. You're trying to get views. That is the world we live in, and I'm not judging that either. But what I'm saying sure. is, is that it just it just informs the choice. It is an important piece when we're building the profile of that person. It's important to remember that it's sure. like, you know, I'll stop commenting on it. I think I'm just aghast. I think I'm it's, just aghast. It's shocking. It's a shocking yeah. thing to accuse someone of, of a Open, quadruple yeah. murder. That is yeah. a bold move. I can't and wait to find out how that goes. When they fight back about it, you complain that they're hurting your business and your reputation. The reputation built on what? Listen, I got to look this woman up because I'm like, reputation built on what? Like, have you been, because if, if she had been correctly solving murders, I'm going to assume we would have heard of her before now. Sure. Or I sure. would have. I feel like that would of be course. on my radar if somebody had like yes. consistently been solving crimes. Yeah. And then maybe then there is more credibility to lose, but I don't know. I'll look into it. Stay tuned. Um, of course. <laughs> Octillion, you learn something new every day. Yeah, I had no clue. No idea. I gonna, you're going to love the next thing I have to comment on. Brian, mm -hmm. the suspect, not yeah. having a shower curtain. That's weird. It speaks to a few things for me. Okay. One, along with the knowledge that his storage area was completely empty... And there is, sure. could be a theory that he had cleaned everything out very quickly. Yeah. That would go along with that. Two, what's on the shower curtain? Were oh. you covered in blood when you came home and took a shower and then got rid of the shower curtain? I mean, it's possible. There is, I mean, there's the fact that they claimed after they checked the house or his apartment that there was no blood found in any of the drains and nothing in his car. But I'm immediately like, okay, to, to go home, assuming we're based on the, the photo, the footage of where the car had been seen and the, where his phone, 
the towers his phone had pinged on, he went home a southern route compared to what he did to get there, which is a fairly straightforward thing. And it was like multiple hours in between. And the trip isn't that long. So then I'm like, did he drive to a nearby town, go to like a hotel where he'd already booked a room under another name, go in that room, shower completely whatever, and then leave? Because if he'd already been in that room, he wouldn't have shown up at a weird time of night looking for a room. It would have been, he's already booked a room, he's already there, whatever. It just feels like if he if there wasn't blood at his apartment, I'm convinced he went somewhere, cleaned up, and then went home. But oh. the shower curtain missing is something. Yeah. And let's say for a second, he didn't get rid of it in the moment. It, has he been living without a shower curtain? Because then that 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 opens a whole new door in my as I'm getting excited about profiling someone, right? Like, of course. How does that work? Maybe he's a bath guy. Which I love that I'm implying that someone who solely takes baths is of note when building a a character profile. It's not. Sure. It's not. But it, what it is is that it's atypical. And of course, whenever we're looking at, at, at details about someone who has potentially committed a heinous crime, it's interesting. To, to look at all the details. And it's like, does that mean something? Ultimately, might not. But it's, uh, again, it's something that's off compared to what you would expect. Atypical. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I'm convinced investigators go, that's their immediate first thing they're going to look at. Yeah. What's off here? Yeah, exactly. is what's off here. Yeah. Regardless is the point. I think that the no shower curtain means something. Either it was removed in a flurry at the last minute or sure it's, you know, yeah, there, to me, it's just like that's that's like an interesting piece of this that it's like, well, that has to mean something to me because even people who do take baths, many, I would say, still have shower curtains. Sure. Right. Like it's it's. Yeah. There's just something about it that's off. Again, and that's, I think, the thing that I'm, I keep coming back to with this case over and over and over again is that it's like something is just really off. How did he commit these murders, whoever whoever does, whether it's this suspect or someone else? Yeah. I mean, his DNA was there, but you know what I'm saying? Innocent until proven guilty. How does someone commit this crime? You yeah. brutally killed four people. The crime scene was described as having blood all over the walls. How do you leave that house not dripping in blood? How do you not leave footprints as you're leaving that house? I know there was a footprint, footprint found outside, but I'm saying, how did it how, seem right? Yeah. How did you not get any blood on your shoes in any way and track it through that house? It feels impossible. Yeah. That there wouldn't be some coming off of this person somehow. Agreed. There's details that we're just not. And, and, and you know, the sad part is, is we may never know. But like, look, this person also, it seems, was meticulous, did a lot of research. It's possible that, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's also possible we'll find out during the trial a lot of details that they had not made public yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's possible. 
Oh, beans. There she goes. Something's going on out there. Thank you. Um, The fact that his behavior changed so drastically after committing the crime and that he was nicer and in a better mood and giving out better grades chilled Mm -hmm. me to my core. Yeah. Chilled me to my core. Um, Now, again, the motive is still tough. It's, 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 it feels like we're seeing signs of him having thought about committing crimes. We could, sure. We could definitely, again, with a suspect, we could look at that. Why did he choose them? Was he stalking someone? Again, was it just trying to prove he was smart enough? The Marine logo on the sheath feels deliberate to me. Sure. For a crime, again, if this person managed to commit this crime, like you were saying, nearly perfectly executed. And when we say perfect, of course, that's 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 with a the acknowledgement that it's horrific. But but of course. you don't just leave that behind. But then to your point, it's like, did you leave the DNA on there deliberately? Part of me could see it being like, I'm going to leave this with some of my DNA because I still think I'm smarter than them. I could see that because he think and he could I could see it being he thinks he's smart enough that it's like you have that evidence and it's like. I'll still get away with it. Right. Or there's also a world in which he wanted to get caught. There's also a world in which um, he didn't know. But again, all of it is just fascinating to me. And I appreciate you giving me the the backstory, the the, the profile. Again, this is is what I live for. The fact that he was described as a creepy loner. Yeah. The fact that he was the youngest of three, he was an only boy, and then we know that he had problems... Uh, being aggressive with women. Yeah. Um, this visual snow syndrome, which, by the way, sounds crazy making it best. That sounds like a oh, terrible yeah. way to live. The fact that it can be caused by brain trauma, I guarantee it. If this person did commit this crime, these crimes, I go back far enough, that kid hit its frontal, front of its head at some point. I, I can guarantee it's possible. it. possible. Um, the message board that he wrote when he was about to turn 15, I am just a blank soul. That's a pretty, like, big statement for a 14, 15-year-old boy. Great point. Um, I always feel I'm not there. No emotion, all caps. No remorse. Then starts using heroin as a teenager. Yeah. He worked as a security guard at a, at, the, at a school. All of the, we're, we're just seeing so many, we're checking off so many boxes here. Yeah, he tried to get an internship with the police department. Right. I mean. Um, the detail of that Tinder date is so chilling. The fact that he was tickling her, she said, stop. And he said, I'm not touching you. Like gaslighting to that level in that moment is psychotic. Oh, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And following her to the bathroom, waiting outside. You're right. Good for her that she was like, I'm going to fake puke noise and hope that that makes him leave. And it did. Who knows how that night could have gone? A hundred percent. I'm not convinced he would have left. I'm not either. Um, the survey on Reddit with the, about crime and emotion Look, it, 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 he said it was a research study. I'm sure it was. By the way, at school, you that, that's part of how you get how you learn is you come up with ideas sure. to then research and study. So I, I highly doubt yeah. he was 
uh, assigned that topic. Oh, sure. Uh, how did you accomplish your goals? Chills me to my core. How did you choose your target? This is terrifying. Um, I, I, again, I just, it, it's the fact that he seems to have such a keen interest in his own experience. It's the fact that he acknowledges as a kid, I always feel I'm not there. I feel like I'm a blank soul. And then starts doing heavy drugs. If you had said yeah. then he started smoking weed, I would have been like, that makes sense. Sure. He's a kid. He's going through it. He's he's struggling. Yeah. Heroin? Yeah, that's... How that's do you step. jump there? Like, again, that feels to me like someone who is deeply hurting, deeply hurting. Um, and then the fact that, I mean, he's obviously also very intelligent. He has these degrees. Uh -huh. he, the, the, those aren't, you know, that's not like a walk in the park to get a psychology degree, right? Like, right. so he's just checking so many, so many boxes in all of the different categories we talk about on this show all the time. Um, I'm very, very curious to see how that trial goes. Uh, just a couple other quick things. You mentioned December 17th, police obtained that piece of trash. I thought, knowing you on this show, you were referring to the suspect. Of course. And then I was like, oh, no, no, she's talking no. about an actual piece of trash. Of course. I, as soon as I said it, I was like, this sounds like I mean the suspect. Yep. Police obtained <laughs> that piece of like, trash. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the only other thing I have to add is this other case, Kathy uh, Benoit, 2011, the similarities between him, Ernesto, the, the the killer, yeah, and our suspect Brian, wild. The fact that there was like known um, multiple personalities going on with him, owning guns, aggressive with students, coercing students into having orgies. Now I know those aren't specifics that Brian was doing. Don't get me wrong, but. I just felt like the fact that he was super aggressive with students, they were both teaching assistants. Like, it's just interesting that there was some real similarities there. Yeah. Degrees in psychology? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has been fascinating. I, uh, I'm i chilled to my core. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I need to know if it is him, whether it's him or not. I, I need to know who it was, but I need to know why. Yes. Because if it comes out, I mean, it's a horrific crime regardless as to its reasoning. But if it comes out, this was just to see if he could. You you murdered four young people just because. I mean, there's no reason that he or whoever the killer was could ever give that would make us go, oh, okay, and make it okay. It's still horrific and awful and never should have happened anyway. Yeah. But it's like, what's his thing? All I can think of is either he outright was like, I want to see if I can get away with it. Or one of those girls rejected him in some way and he was pissed. Yeah. Because we've seen that. I can't see any other reason for why he would do it, assuming it was him. But yeah, I'll be interested to see... Uh, how that goes. Well, yes. And this also, I just also have to mention that this obviously is that whole concept of killing to see if you could do it or what it would feel like does remind me of this recent news story 
um, right. about the South Korean, uh, the woman who, the Korean woman, uh, Jung Yu Jung, I just pulled this up, um, who was obsessed with true crime shows, no, true crime novels, scored highly on a psychopath test, says that she killed a stranger out of curiosity and then, of course, dismembered the body. Um, That's terrifying. 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 And as I said to you earlier, also not great PR for true crime as a genre. If this is what's no. starting to happen, that's 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 not. We don't need to put that out into the world. That's um, no. That's uh, yeah. I just hope that no one else gets inspired by her. Do you know what I mean? Agreed. You always hear about like there there's a killing sometimes, and then it like inspires other people. I hope that this is the period on the end of that sentence because it's already absolutely horrific. And to your yeah. point, this case could be. Along the same lines, which I don't love. I don't love. Yeah. I don't know if he would, if it was him, I don't know if he'd ever admit to it or if he'd ever just say, like, this is what happened and this is why. Well, if we go along with the different profiles that, of course, I'm always building, it can really go either way. It can really go either way. I hope if he did it that he admits to it. I hope so, too. Or at the very least will just be like, this is, this is it. Well, listen, Christy Oxborough, fantastic mm. research and work as always. We truly never cease to be amazed on this show, and we appreciate you for all you do. Uh, it's an honor. It's tough when it's something new because you're like, oh, there's not going to be very much to find. Um, but you still go down the rabbit hole. Of course. Of like, it's still never ending. But um, yeah, it was wild to do one that's so new. Well, I'll say it. I think you're cool. Oh, Wow. See? It feels I mean, good. <laughs> it does. Oh, it does. I mean, I am sitting here next to this. <laughs> I have a, a stuffed My Little Pony um, in <laughs> sitting on my desk that I just received for a birthday. And I, because she's my favorite of uh, all the ponies. Um, so I feel a little less cool. I'll say it, but now I think you're even cooler. (laughs) I'll take it. I'm glad. I'll Um, take it. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this wild ride. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter at Not Detectives, and of course, go over to patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails for more information about our subscription-based service over there. And also, uh, truecrewmerch.com is the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch. And I will say, as of the time of this episode releasing December 5th, if you are looking for holiday gifts for people, they recommend that you order them prior to December 10th in order to try and ensure they will reach you on time. Uh, So uh, check that out if you're interested. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Montreal Santa Claus robbery. It's thematic. It's festive. Ho, ho, hold up your hands. (laughs) Got away from me. Uh, No, that was perfect. I look forward to hearing all about it. Uh, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Ryan Ellis. Good night, Lucky Charms, Lucky Leprechaun. They're magically delicious and tiny. (laughs) Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.